Good morning. It is good to see you here. Uh, and we're social distancing for those of you who are on, online. Uh, glad that you're with us on this beautiful, sunshiny day. A couple of things uh, before we get started. One of them is, uh, this is a Sunday we do communion. Uh, so if you're online, uh, I hope you'll take a moment to prepare maybe a piece of bread and, uh, and some juice uh, in a cup. Uh, and at the end of the service, we'll take communion. If you're here amongst us, uh, obviously we can't do communion like we would normally do it with intinction. That's just... Not good with COVID. So you should have received a little thing like this when you came in. Uh, if you didn't get one, raise your hand and we'd be happy to get one to you. Uh, it looks like everybody's got one. And uh, I'll give you some instructions at the end. But the big thing is on, this, on the lip of this, there are two pieces. One that, that pulls apart and one that pulls apart uh, for the juice. And uh, we've used these a number of times in other, other settings in General Assembly with thousands of people. And that's where everybody always gets confused. So just so you're aware, uh, ha hold on to that and we will worship uh, with communion uh, at the end here. Um, then we've been in this series, we've been talking about parables, right? Uh, oh, one other thing I forgot to tell you, I was going to do a short video to kind of introduce Kramer, the worship pastor that's coming, uh, but it turned into this long thing, you get two pastors talking and it goes long, so I'd encourage you to watch it on uh, Facebook or on uh, YouTube, it's on their Facebook and our YouTube uh, pages, uh, and you'll learn a lot of interesting sort of uh, things about, about Kramer, it was a fun, fun time together, so just encourage you uh, to connect that way. So we've been talking about parables, stories that changed uh, the world and how Jesus was a storyteller. And uh, as I've been looking at this more and more and more, I'm just convinced that the greatest truths that Jesus wanted to share uh, were not as propositional truth, but were as stories. He would, he would tell a story to communicate. And so uh, we're going to be talking today about a story that's about mercy. So let, let me just do a quick interview, a quick uh, not interview, quick poll of everybody here. Um, how many of you have ever had an, ex an opportunity... Uh, to extend mercy. And before you answer that, give me, let me give you just a little bit of an idea of what mercy is. Mercy is something that they don't deserve. By definition, mercy means they don't deserve it. If they deserve it, it's justice, right? But, but mercy means they, they, you, you had an opportunity to extend mercy to someone. They didn't deserve it. They hadn't earned it, any of that. But you extend mercy. How many of you have ever extended mercy to someone? I, I hope all of us have. Um, so maybe the, the other side of this is, um, and you don't have to raise your hand, but uh, just I, it would be interesting if you would. How many of you have ever been in a position that you had to receive mercy? Yeah, I, almost all of you. I, I hope that's the case. I, I know I have been there, uh, and I have been there in, in some pretty big ways. And as I was thinking about this, the one that that always sticks out for me a little bit is, is the fact that I'm a pastor was an act of mercy for me. Uh, in our denomination, there's a very long process, an involved process to become ordained. Uh, we take it really, really seriously. It involves uh, time of service. It involves mentoring processes. It involves academic process, all of those sorts of things. And I felt called into the ministry as, as a teenager uh, at a district assembly of all places um, to get called. And, and uh, I went home and told my church I was in high school, and they were excited. It was a very little church, and they wanted me to hurry up and get going. And so they gave me a local preacher's license, which is the beginning of the process. And then if you serve for a year, you can get a district license, which is a little bit bigger deal. But, but when you get a district license, what we didn't know at the time, and I didn't know, was the clock is ticking. Uh, because there's this rule in the manual, there was this rule in the manual, I think it's still there. It's not enforced in the same way, but, but once you start on you know, your district license, you have 10 years to complete all of your academic preparation for ministry. 
Um, and I didn't know that, and the church was excited. So for the first couple of years, I wasn't doing anything. I eventually was going to go to college, and so, you know, I graduated high school and went to college, uh, and I, I took a degree in philosophy and religion, uh, which mostly prepared you to go to seminary. It didn't really knock off all the requirements, you know. And about that time, I felt a really clear check from the Lord that said, stop. I, I just stop, and, and I didn't understand that at all. You know, I wanted to go to school, but it was, it was just one of those... You ever experience where the Lord's like really clear, you know? <laughs> I mean, most of the time I'm going, what do you, do you want to go this way? You want to go this way? What do you want, Lord? But every once in a while it's like, okay, that's what he wants. I know that's what he wants. So I stopped and I started my career in the marketplace. I thought that was over. I was just going to be a layman. I loved being a layman. Figured I could serve God probably better in some ways as a layman. Uh, we kind of started our family, Jody and I. We got married. We, we uh, bought a house. We had two car payments. We had a kid. Life was good. You know, I was earning good money. My career was going up. She was doing great. It was wonderful. We were in church. We loved a bunch of young adults our age. We, we just thought, we just want to grow old with these people. And then God spoke again <laughs> and said, nope, now I want you to go to seminary. Years into this process, it's, uh, so I picked up and I kind of started the licensing procedure over, went to seminary, uh, got through seminary, finished up all of my academic requirements, took my first church on a district license, which is often the way you do it. And, and about Three years into that, uh, they, they prepare you for ordination. Okay, it's time for you to be ordained. Uh, and as I was sitting in one of my last kind of meetings together where they review you, every year they review you. You sit in the middle and they form a circle. It was pretty intimidating. Um, and and they, someone was looking through my records, kind of checking everything, and they said, oh, wait a minute. When did you get your first district license? And I said, well, 1977 or so, something like this. And this is now in the 1990s, right, you know? And someone said we can't ordain you. you. You can't be ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. You've exceeded the limit for completion of your... And I'm going to tell you, that was one of those moments because I'd given over a lot of life and treasure, four-year degree, you know, and then a three-year degree that I stretched it into five. And, 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 all, and it was just one of those moments of my whole career is gone. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, in all of this. And, and I just, I can remember coming home from that meeting being like devastated and not sure what was going to happen. And, and, I, and I remember the man that would eventually become my, my mentor, our district superintendent, kind of coming alongside with me and said, well, there is an exception. And what the exception is this, you have to have written permission from the board of general superintendents, which is the highest governing board in our denomination. <laughs> and I'm like this pipsqueak, right? Nobody knows about. And he went to bat for me and took it to them, and eventually they voted it. I'm happy to tell you I'm ordained today, okay? <laughs> I was after that. But, but I remember that profound act of, of mercy. I, I really, I hadn't kept the rules. I hadn't done it right, any of those sorts of things. They had no reason uh, to, to ordain me. But just out of mercy... They ordained me. They allowed me to be ordained. And so uh, it occurred to me then how important mercy is in the life of the body of Christ. And the parable we're going to look at today uh, is, is all about that. It's found in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. And it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. I'd encourage you to take your books there because this is a long story. I'm not going to put the scriptures up there. I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to, well, I'll read it to you and then we'll kind of walk through it. But I, I need to, to set this up because before the parable of the unforgiving servant, there's this little incident between Peter and Jesus. Don't you love Peter? Because he's always saying the wrong thing or getting sideways or 
Am I the only one that does that? You're all looking at me like, no. We, we, you know, you guys identify with the disciples maybe that got it right all the time. So what's happened is this, is there's a, an issue come up about forgiving people. And, uh, and in the tradition uh, of the elders at, at that time, uh, the idea was that you, you could forgive somebody three times for the same offense, right? In fact, you were required to forgive them three times for the same offense. And then on the fourth time, you didn't, you didn't have to forgive him anymore, right? And so Peter is, has heard Jesus talking in kind of his generous spirit and his mercy and all of that. And so he comes to Jesus and he, and he says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he's going to show Jesus just how spiritual he is. He says, seven times? Should we forgive them seven times? So that's more than double what the law requires, right? So it's just like this whole generous kind of, kind of thing. And, and so uh, Jesus turns around, and I'm sure Peter is expecting him to go, wow, Peter, you've, you've really caught on. You're so spiritual. But of course, you know, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, no, you should forgive your brother 70 times seven. And you can just imagine Peter going, oh. Because, see, the real question here, the underlying question in all of this is, what are the limits of mercy? Where does mercy end? Where do we say, that's it, now I'm going to blast you. No more, no more mercy for you. You've used up all the mercy. Now it's time for a little justice in your life. You know, that, that was the question. We're going to wrap our clothes around them. And the Jews would do this. They'd literally wrap their clothes around them against people and, and, and lift our noses up in the air and, and say, we're better than them. Because here's the problem. Mercy is not about math. It's not about how many times. What this whole parable that we're going to look at is about is about the very nature of forgiveness. Counting, if, if you're counting, you've missed the point. Okay, and let me, for those of you who are married, you'll get this really quick. If you keep track of wrongs and forgiveness in your marriage, you won't last, okay? Y'all should be saying amen right about there, right? Because it just doesn't, it doesn't work. It's just not the nature of the relationship and all. Plus, the list would get so long so fast that no one would ever be able to keep track of it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Forgiveness isn't about how many times. It's not about the math. It's about a new kind of thing that he wants to do. And so he begins, and he begins in verse 23, and I want to read this to you. Having had this encounter, Peter is standing somewhere in the corner going, we're never going to be able to do this. Seventy-seven times we have to forgive somebody for the very same thing. Jesus goes on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And we'll talk about that. That's a lot. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. So we know this actually isn't Jews. He's talking about Gentiles because you couldn't do that with Jewish law. And payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, okay, he's all the way down, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. Uh, which is a lie because he couldn't. And out of, the pity, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. So he's literally got him by the throat, right? Saying, pay what you owe. 
So this fellow servant fell down on his knees and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you, which was actually possible. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debts, which would be a life sentence. So also my heavenly father will do the very due to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now that's a scary parable, that last line. So the question then becomes is this, what is forgiveness? And, and the problem we have today is that when we think of it in the 20th century, we think of forgiveness in psychological terms, in interior terms, okay? Forgiving someone who has wounded you in some way, the interior life, and maybe they don't even know it, or, you know, things have gone on, but you don't have a relationship, and you are grappling with forgiving them. And sometimes when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he talks about it like that. But that's actually not what he's talking about in this particular case. So Jesus is talking about our exterior life. You notice there was a debt involved to be forgiven. So in, um, in this passage, forgiveness is being used as a verb for acts of mercy. And, and it's really hard because in the ancient world, forgiveness tended to have that kind of a meaning to it. But for us, probably mercy is almost a, a better word. It's, it's literally to forgive a debt that someone owes to you, whether it be financially or whether it be socially or, or all of those sorts of things. And there's an interesting thing that goes on with this word uh, for, for mercy here uh, that, that I just kind of want to highlight you of. The interesting thing for me is that, that Paul uses a different word for this than the Gospels do. And I think it's fascinating. Paul uses a word that, that means kindness, benevolence, pardon, to give freely, to restore. And it actually has the same root word as grace, right? It's kind of that gracious restoring. So it speaks kind of to attitude and it, 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 along with your actions. And, and it speaks to how you go about doing it, right? Because you can, you can receive mercy like this, right? Well, you're never going to pay me back anyway, so okay, go away, you know. I'd ask you how many received mercy like that, but maybe we shouldn't go there, you know. You might look at somebody, so we don't want to do that. You know, or you can receive mercy that's done with, man, I, you've gotten yourself in a bad spot, and we just, we want to give you a chance to try again. So we're going we're gonna to give you some mercy in all this. The Gospels, which is what we're reading out of, Jesus here, uh, in his word, it means literally to let go. It, it doesn't have all of that larger kind of emotional meaning to it. So everybody make a fist. Go like this. One of a few times you get to make a fist in church, okay? And really tight, sometimes you can. Now relax it slowly and go like this. You feel that? It's kind of that, it's that letting go of something. Um, and it's, it's exterior, it's actions. And so when Jesus talks about this forgiveness, he's talking about actually pardoning you of something of which you are guilty. And what he's trying to say in this whole thing, just to kind of get right at the heart of it, is this. Mercy is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. In fact, the very last line of this is, forgive your brother from the heart, right? So, so, so you can't forgive your brother from the heart if you're keeping track. 
waiting for the ticking clock. Ah, forgave him the first time. Ha, forgave him the second time. Ha, forgave him the third time. One more time and I get to blast him. That's not the heart. That's, that's mercy is math, okay? Peter was looking at a head issue to try and figure out the formula. He was, he was thinking about, about, about a rule. He was thinking about a policy. Say policy. Policy. How many of you have ever got, I won't, don't answer it. How many of you have ever gotten sideways with a policy? I, I used to work for a really big, big, big company, and they had a policy for everything. And it wasn't long until I learned that the advantage was if you learned all the policy, you could use it against others. Wait, did I say that out loud? You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But, but he was looking for the, 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 the specific black and white answer, a rule that he could follow, and, and then he could be contemptuous towards his brothers and sisters because he was better. There, there's an old joke that's probably in some ways uh, inappropriate today a little bit, not in a bad way, but, but, but just forgive me because I, I think this joke in some ways just always makes me think of this, and it's a reminder to me. The, the old, old joke about this, this difference of, of forgiving from the rule versus forgiving from the heart, the, the joke is this, the farmer and his wife are, are headed into town with a, a load of their, their, their produce that they're, they're going to sell in town. It should be a really great day because this is when kind of payday for them, right, you know, and they got their mule out front and, and they're going down the road and as they're going down the road, they, they get about halfway there, it's, it's a ways and, and all of a sudden the mule stops, you know, and, and you know, I don't know if you've been around mules, I a little bit as a kid. They can be very stubborn in my experience. Um, and so farmer climbs down out of there and he's not very happy and he grabs a mule by the ears and says, that's one. You know, gets up, climbs back in and gets in and the mule starts off. And they get down the road a little bit and the mule stops again, you know, and, and he climbs back out and he's really irritated. He's like, that's two. He's got the mule by the ear and gets back in and gets going again. And and then, you know, the third time the mule stops, they're still in the middle of nowhere. He gets down there, he gets up there, and he goes, that's three, and he grabs a shotgun, and boom, down goes the mule. Well, Mama's not too happy about that, because they are a long way away. So as he climbs back up in there, she's like, why did you do that? You realize how far we are, and we've got this wagon full of stuff? How dumb can you be? And he turns around and looks at his wife and grabs her by the ears and says, that's one. Old joke. Do not do this to your spouse and don't do it to your donkeys either, okay? Kind of inappropriate, but, but it illustrates the concept, right? It is this idea of mercy as something you grant, as a number, as something that you're not really giving mercy from the heart. You're just kind of following a rule. Can I be brutally honest? Sometimes in the church we can be like that. They've gone too far. They keep doing it over and over again. They've used up all the mercy. At some point, you've got to draw a line. And somewhere in the back of our head, we're keeping track of how many times we've shown mercy to them. We, 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 we treat it like somehow there's a limited supply of mercy. And, and the, the needle has gone from full to three quarters to half to a quarter to, uh, you know, I say an eighth. wasn't good at math. <laughs> Pretty soon the you know low fuel light has come on. And it's like okay, man, one more time, and and that's it. So so maybe we don't do that literally, but in our head there's there's a line where we say this is it. You you've used up your allotment of mercy. Now you're going to dole out some justice. 
Oh, it feels so good to get to justice, especially if you've been doling out mercy and you're tired of it. Anyone else notice that you can get tired of doling out mercy? I have. I have. And I just wonder, you know. And Jesus completely rejects that way of thinking and acting. That just bothers me a lot. <laughs> he just re- he's showing mercy in the midst of all of this. And the message is this. Showing mercy is about spirituality, not math. Say spirituality, not math. Yeah, that's at the heart of it. And so, put another way, showing mercy is about your relationship to God, not your relationship to the person in need of mercy. Boy, that changes things. Showing mercy is about your relationship to God, not your relationship to the person in need of mercy. And so, he he does this in a powerful way. What the master did, in fact, makes no sense if you're thinking about mercy from your head. I mean, he has lost a ton of money. It's, today we would say billions, but actually it's an idiom for like way more than you can count. So like if, if your kid goes to a big party somewhere at school and they come home and they say, how many kids were there? And they say, there's a million people there. You know there weren't actually a million people there, right? You just know it was way more than they could count. In fact, this is, this is such a big number that he would have had to have been some sort of political official just to have access to this, this much money. Really, a billion may not even uncover in fact, to give you a perspective, one of, the, uh, one of the commentators that's kind of into these kind of details said this. In order for this servant to repay this amount of money that he owed, he would have to work 365 days a year, no days off, for 150,000 years. This dude was in debt, and when he said, I'll repay, he's lying. That couldn't happen. And that's assuming he has no expenses which everybody has. See, for him, life is over. Without some sort of mercy, he will spend the rest of his life in debt or prison, and so will his wife, and so will his children. Do you understand how big a crisis he was in? Can you imagine being in a situation where if you don't get mercy, your life is over, and your spouse's life is over, and your children's life is over? What an amazing sort of moment that must have been for him. And then, and then for the king to say that he was going to forgive the debt, what an extraordinary moment of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I think I'd have been dancing in the aisles, you know. I want to kiss your ring. Can I? And it would have been crazy. You're all looking at me like it's not that big a deal, man. It, it would have been amazing. But here's the truth that comes out of that. God has forgiven you and me way more than we can ever pay back. That's the truth of this story. He's forgiven our sins, which is with way more. We would literally face an eternity without God had he not forgiven us, had he not extended mercy to us. This is why salvation is free, because you couldn't afford it if it wasn't. It's not possible. None of us could afford it. It would take you way longer than 150,000 years. Sin is much worse than you think. And eternal separation is vastly worse than you could possibly imagine. And God showed us mercy. Mercy to you. Mercy to me. We should live rejoicing in that all of the time. It's one of the reasons I say Sunday morning is holy party. My theological friends say celebration. But that's kind of a big word. I like holy party better, you know. 
Every Sunday morning, we should gather to celebrate what God has done for us. And if that guy had had any sense at all, for the rest of his life on that date, he would have been celebrating the mercy of the king that had been extended to him. But this is a really hard truth from this parable, not from me. So I'm just going to say what Scripture's saying in kind of a modern English way. Okay, you love your pastor, right? <laughs> Feeling like I'm coercing you into that. I don't know if I can do the next slide or not. Okay, here we go. It makes God angry when those who have been shown great mercy become unmerciful. There are a lot of things that make God angry, but this is one of them. When, when we who have received so much become unmerciful to the world around us, and according to this text, it makes him angry. It says the king was angry. God has forgiven so much for us, and we turn around and are unforgiving to others are unmerciful towards others. There is no people anywhere on earth that should be more merciful than Christians. For we know what has been forgiven us. We face the debt we couldn't possibly pay. And God in his mercy and his love, when we asked him to forgive, he forgave. At great cost to him. God has forgiven us so much. And our hearts break, should break over a suffering broken world. We should be anxious to return mercy for what God has done for us because ultimately God's mercy should forever change us. And see, that's the problem. It didn't change this guy. He received the most extraordinary mercy ever and it didn't change him. We should constantly walk with humility realizing how much we have been forgiven. Realizing what God has done for us, we should be completely new. Never mind just the good stuff God does in changing us, but just the realization of what we were and what could have happened and what is now in the case. We should be living like we know it all the time of what God has done. And when we extend mercy to others, and I hope you extend mercy to others, and someone says to me, I can't believe you did this, we should be able to say, if you'd known how much I've been forgiven, you'd understand. Because ultimately, forgiveness in this world is tiny compared to all that God has done for us. Amen? That was like a murmur. I said, amen. So let's try again. Okay. The forgiveness we extend in this world is tiny compared to what God has done for us. Amen? Yes. If, if, if we receive mercy and we aren't merciful, something is wrong with us spiritually. Because this is a spiritual issue. In fact, I would offer to you that an unmerciful Christian is a contradiction in terms. They can't both be, the, you can't be a Christian and be unmerciful. That's kind of the point of this story. You can be a Christian and then you're merciful, or you can be unmerciful, but you're not a Christian. They can't both be true. In fact, if you want to be hard, mean, calloused, insensitive to the suffering of others, turn your Christian card in on the way out of this service. Because they can't both be true. Just one or the other. Any guess to the relative difference between what each of these men owed? What the man who owed less that got grabbed by the throat and didn't get forgiven was one six hundred thousandth of what the master forgave the other guy for. Isn't that crazy? See, it, it's hard for us to get these because they don't use the thing, but will you translate that into our things? 
And he literally, having been forgiven 600,000 times more than what this guy owed him, and it wasn't a small amount of money, it was several months' wages, but it was, it was, he could pay it back if he'd work at it, grabs him by the throat and you pay now and threw him in prison. Here's the really, really good news because this is kind of hard sermon at this point. God doesn't ration mercy, neither should we. God, God, let me just start with the first part. God doesn't ration mercy. God doesn't ration mercy. There we go. <laughs> Neither should we. Good news is God's mercy is limitless. It overflows for all of the stuff from your past. And I am so thankful that he extends mercy when I mess it up in the present. Amen. Because it's, it's unlimited. And, and he doesn't ask, you know, that we pay him back. But he does ask that we show mercy to others. We should be the most merciful people on earth. We, we should be more merciful than anybody else. We should be known for being merciful. Because God doesn't have a mercy ledger. You know, can, can you imagine if God had a, had a big ledger and he kept track of all of your sins and all your shortcomings and went, check that one off. Oh, that, same thing again. Oh, new one down here. Oh, there's a new one over there. Oop, well, we got to three on this one, you know, four, five. Oh, that was the 77th time. Guess what happens on 78? Yeah, nervous laughter all across the sanctuary. Because <laughs> some of you are going, I could be pushing on that. I, I really could be, you know. So, rejoice in God's mercy toward you and extend mercy to those around you. I mean, you could sum up the whole thing right in that. That's the propositional truth. But the story is so much more powerful. Rejoice in God's mercy toward you and extend mercy to those around you. Wherever you come into them, receive, extend mercy to them. I love Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Get this. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32. You shall memorize that this week. That is such a powerful, powerful verse. So let me ask you this question. If our musicians could come, who in your life needs you to show them mercy? And let me put a twist on it. Maybe you need mercy this morning. Maybe you are carrying a weight or a load. And you need God's mercy. I have good news. God isn't keeping track. The reservoir of his mercy is limitless. And he wants to extend you mercy this morning for whatever's going on. And you don't have to confess it to me or a priest or to anybody. But he will give you his mercy Maybe it's you this morning. I want to encourage you if it's you this morning. In a minute, we're going to take communion. And when we do that, I want you to ask God for forgiveness, for mercy, and let his mercy and forgiveness flood into your life. Or maybe it's someone around you. Maybe you know of someone in your sphere of influence that needs mercy, and you're gone. He's at eight, Pastor. He's over the limit. And maybe the spirit of the living God is saying to you this morning, forgive as I forgave you. Forgive as I forgave you.
You could work 150,000 years, you still wouldn't get there. Forgive as I've forgiven you. We're going to take communion together. And there is probably no greater symbol of mercy than, well, this isn't a particularly great visual of it, but of the Lord's table, the place where we receive mercy and grace and love and forgiveness from our Heavenly Father, who we owe far more to than anyone around us. So if you're at home, I would encourage you to get juice and the bread and the glasses and, and pass them out, make them available. And, and uh, if you're in the sanctuary here this morning, that little top piece, if you pull that off, it'll, it'll get you to the little wafer that, that's in there. Um, and I'd hold on the, the juice part, and when we pull the juice open, I just want to encourage you to be careful, because if you pull hard and it kind of, it'll splash a little bit, and grape juice is not fun to get out of, get out of clothing. And so, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to pray and then use the words of induction here. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Father, forgive us for all the times we have been unmerciful. That is not a good look on us who have been forgiven so much, who have received mercy in waves and in abundance and overflowing, Lord. I pray that every time we come to your table, you would remind us how merciful you have been to us, Father, how, how much you forgave us and how much you want us to be that way in this lost and broken world where there is often much to forgive, much to be merciful about, Lord. And so I pray, Father, as we come to this table in this moment now, Lord, to that one who has come knowing that they need mercy. <laughs> it's been a tough week. Maybe they've fallen down. They haven't been all that you would have them to be, and they know that, and, and they feel like, I just keep falling down, and I just keep over and over, and I'm never going to get done with this. When is God going to stop forgiving me for this? Would you just flood them with the knowledge that their answer is never? <laughs> it's never been about the math. It's never been about keeping track, Father. That has always been about their love, your love for them, Father, and our love for one another. And so, Father, I pray for that one, that you would just flood them with your spirit of mercy and forgiveness. And then I pray, Father, for all of us that, that are cognizant of, of what you have done for us, Lord, that you would make us more merciful as we go out of this place in a few minutes. Father, to some of them that we would really like to keep track of the number of times we've been merciful to, would you help us, Father, to just love them so much that your love overwhelms that in our lives and, and we focus on just being merciful because you have been merciful to us. Thank you, Lord. We ask now that you would come that you would inhabit these elements, Father, and that we would encounter the living God again in these moments. We're reminded that on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the body of the Lord. You want to open the juice have that there real carefully. After supper, the Lord took the cup, and when he had again given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember what I have done for you. Remember what I have done for you. 
Remember the mercy I have shown you and be thankful. Let us partake of the blood of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we have gathered in your name. We have celebrated you and sung praise to you. We, we have worshipped you in word, Father, and in preaching, and we have dined at your table. And so we say, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. I pray, Father, now as we continue to worship in giving, and as we leave this place to worship you in the world but not of it, that you would change us and transform us and make us like you. Make us more merciful, we pray. For we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to worship the Lord in giving. And for those of you online, uh, we're going to worship there and with uh, music. Uh, as we do that, several ways you can give. Uh, you can go to our website, generationscommunity.org, and just click on the thing. Uh, you can also uh, give uh, through, our, uh, through our app uh, as well. You just uh, take the app, and there's a place to do it uh, right there as well. You can text to give. You just text, 780, text GIVE784 to 77977. And, of course, you can mail a check-in and the P.O. Box 1654. And for those of you who are gathered here, I've seen some of you do it already. In the very back are a couple boxes on the wall, and you can put a check or cash uh, or whatever you want uh, in that as well. Let's continue to worship the Lord in giving, uh, but let's also worship the Lord in music.